911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to another episode of Tactical Living by Leo Warriors. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And I'm your co-host, Clint Walton. In today's episode, Clint and I are not alone because we are joined by a very special guest by the name of Rick Pasonic. Rick, how are you? Doing great, doing great. So Rick, we asked you on our show because you told us a little bit about your background. We've known each other for some time now, and I felt like... I really wanted to give you a, a space to showcase a little bit about who you are. So I'll just dive in by sharing with the listener a little bit about your background myself, and then we'll dive into some questions that allow really the world to get to know some of your story and how you've used your past to continue to benefit what I believe society as a whole. So a little bit about Rick. Rick and I met in our Human Potential Institute training. We are getting certified by uh, the Human Potential Institute and then potentially the ICF. We are coaches. And for Rick, a little bit about things he he shared with me with his background is that he did receive his Bachelor of Science degree in orthotics and prosthetics from the University of Washington. And he also went to grad school for prosthetic and orthotic research from the University of Connecticut. Apart from that, in his journey, he has gone along the path to become the principal owner of a small prosthetic, prosthetic business. And he's, I, they're laughing guys, because that's probably the fifth time I've had a hard time pronouncing the word prosthetic, but he also specializes in micro microprocessors for prosthetic limbs in Jackson, Mississippi. This, this guy's background, we can go into talking about him starting a small silicone manufacturing business that he's used for product development. He's also a business consultant and expert witness regarding issues concerning prosthetics. On top of that, he is a fellow of the American Academy of Prosthetics and Orthotics, and he served two terms as a commissioner for the National Commission of Orthotics and Prosthetics Education. If that wasn't enough, he has authored and co-authored chapters in textbooks and journals. In addition to that, Rick has also served in the United States Army from 1974 to 1977. He's an ordained, ordained pastor. He is the co-founder, coach, and player of the Sons of Thunder basketball team. And he's the founder of the Epilogue Worthy Life, which is a mission to be a resource and to set an example on how to thrive physically, spiritually, financially, and relationally as people age. That's quite a mouthful. <laughs> you made me sound better than I think I really am. <laughs> That's what I love about you, Rick. You, you have this humble way about you. And I think that a, a lot of your history is very rich in the things that led you to be able to create this ability to serve other people. And if someone were to look at your biography, and of course, this is from my, my point of view, I see this pattern of this continued desire and progression for being able to find ways to articulate your abilities to give back to other people. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, um, I, I think growing up, um, my mom uh, was married five times. 
and uh, and so at a very young age, and so I grew up really trying to figure out what did it mean to be a man, and uh, so I spent more time without a father than I did with a father, and uh, I think that's part of it. It's just a journey trying to figure out what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man? And so I grew up in the inner city in Philadelphia, and so you had these street rats, and you had athletes, and you had all the different groups, and and so I, I think it's just been a journey of figuring out what, what does it mean to be a person that uh, has some sort of significance, that has a sense of purpose. And, and really, the military was a big deal for me. The only thing I knew about my dad is that he was in the Army. And, we, and I have pictures of him and my uncle, who uh, was also in the Army. And so I thought maybe as, as I struggled through going to college and things like that, and really was a terrible student, the only thing that I associate with being a man was being in the military. And so uh, I guess as, as I think about the things I've done, it really goes back to that, is that what does it mean to be a man, uh, to be a person that lives a life of significance? And, and certainly I, I've, over the years I've drawn a, correl a correlation that being a person that lives a satisfied life somehow contributes to other people. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing, you know, to really hear your story and, and to see what you've honed in on for your own past uh, surrounding your journey. And the military seems like it was huge for mm. shaping you into what it was. And, and you went into the military in, at a hard time, you know, towards the end of the Vietnam War and just kind of gearing in towards that whole environment of America and Americana at that time, our, our country shifted mm. it, within that point, within that time frame, from in the early 70s to where we are now, it's completely shifted. So did you actually serve in the Vietnam War? No, I was at the very end of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, we were training as if, you know, something would still continue, just like now with the Iraq war. And uh, uh, it just seems like it's a never ending process. And so the same thing was going on at the time I was in is that there always seemed to be some conflict. And so and then I was in a combat unit that was we were ready to go at any time. That was kind of our motto. So. In that, I'm sure you saw a lot of soldiers coming back from the war within your youth at that time. You're seeing soldiers coming back from Vietnam, seeing what they were exposed to, seeing what they kind of were invested in and, and their injuries, their, their PTSD. Now, now mm -hmm. we know what it is. Yeah. How did that articulate into what you've become and what you've done in your own life? Yeah, you know, I think... I think in my life, I, my family had been through a lot of emotional trauma. And so I was really attuned to that. And, and of course, early, like you were saying, is that the post-traumatic stress, that, that, I don't even know if that word existed at that time. But you could see when you would deal with these soldiers coming back, there was something, there was something missing in their life. And, uh, and, and there, wasn't, there, there weren't groups to uh, help. Uh, individuals develop a strategy. Now, how do we, how do we go from in a jungle, in a, in a territory that is nothing like where I grew up, in, under conditions that you, there's no no there's no practice to prepare you for that. I don't care what you do. 
And so you're, and, and these guys are 19, 20, 21 years old. I mean, he's, you know, my son's 21 years old. I don't, he doesn't know where the ketchup goes. You know, you don't know how to put that away. And so now we're telling these guys after they've seen people killed and they've been maimed and psychologically they've had challenges. And now go ahead. You know, good luck. Have a good, you know, high five. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, you, you, it didn't take a psychiatrist to recognize that that was happening. And, um, and so it, it, it is cool. And even now there, there are, uh, you know, certainly challenges, but it's cool to have an organization like what you guys are doing because post-traumatic stress exists all over the place. I mean, patients that I see that are in car accidents that lose limbs, they have post-traumatic stress. And, of course, policemen, I, I lived, one of the things I did is I lived with a, a policeman for three or four years. He was actually a detective, homicide detective. And so, uh, and I would watch him come home after the stress of, uh, of the day of the life of a homicide detective and say, hey, man, this is taxing. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And, and to have this identifier of, of, and it's not just first responders, it's not just military veterans, it's anyone who goes through any type of traumatic incident within their lives has some form of PTSD. And, and it's crazy to see that the response that our society has towards that nowadays, one, people overutilize it to the effect of trying to capitalize on it for disability or whatever else it may be. But they're also, it's the people who really need it are underutilizing it because they don't want a label put on them. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed that with, say, some of your clients that you've worked with with prosthetics? Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, and I worked on military base for a couple of years after um, I got out. And I, yeah, no, I see, that's the cool thing, whereas you start to see common pieces of the puzzle in different facets of life. And so we have what's happening with police officers. But if you're not careful, you think, oh, well, we're, we're unique. We're a separate segment of society. And you, you feel isolated. But then all of a sudden you feel like, well, hey, we have some of the same symptoms of people who went to battle. And, and then you realize that people who are in substantial trauma situations, like in a, in a car or truck accident, well, now they have some common things. And so I think one of the solutions, and it's not easy, I don't want to sound like it's easy, is that we team up. I think we team up. That, that's a cool thing that you're, the, the thing that I see what you guys are doing is you are creating a team, a network. When I listened to you about your fishing trip, I thought, man, you guys, you guys got it going. You got something special there. And so, um, yeah, if we could start bringing in the different facets and say, let's, let's use some of the resources that you guys have developed and some of the, the tactics that you guys now understand and help people who experience trauma and other aspects of life. I think it's great that you pointed that out. And I love that you preface that by saying that we need to use caution. Um, I just read about another, another police officer. He lives in New York who committed suicide and his service is going to be tomorrow. And it, it just really hit me because the media was very graphic in portraying the fact that his girlfriend was at home and they're talking about the witnesses that heard her shouting, no, 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 right before it happened hearing the gunshot and hearing her screaming, no, 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 again. And they're, they're just taking us through such a portrayal of what I believe to be very raw and even defaming. And we can get into the whole, the whole issue with, with media in general, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is 
is there was one lieutenant who pointed out that it should be routine and consistent for not only police officers, but for anybody in a high stress profession. So be it doctors or like name, name a high stress profession to where there's some sort of annual therapy. That way it becomes not only required, but it starts to become more open and acceptable and People don't feel like there's something wrong with you. People understand the fact that this isn't an aid. This is literally like a medical supplement that you need in addition to your profession. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the solutions are not, they're not easy, but they're common. You know, because one of the things I'm doing now is in my longevity uh, studies is as we try to figure out how can you have a life of significance that doesn't end when you're in the military or when you play sports, they can continue on. And, you know, some of the common factors that, uh, because apathy, what happens is a person, uh, like with post-traumatic stress, all of a sudden they, they, they ask some questions. Does anybody love me? Do I have anybody to love? Do I now have a purpose? Is there something broken in my life? And who, who am I a part of a team with? Well, see, old folks think that. Hmm. They think something's broken. I'm not as physically active as before. People are, people stereotype me and tell me I'm going to lose my memory. I'm not going to remember things. And so some of that is, uh, there's a study that uh, Ellen um, Lang, I think her last name is, and she says that uh, the words set in motion physical action in your body. So when you start saying a person has post-traumatic stress, say a policeman, if he starts saying, well, I'm crazy, there's something wrong with me. People are not, no, don't know how to respond to me. And then what do they do? They back off and then they isolate themselves. Another one of the factors that uh, really set in motion this thing of depression and, uh, and that happens with the age of people. They, they all of a sudden feel like, oh man, I don't want to, uh, like my, my stepfather used to say, he wouldn't come to a family gathering because, oh, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't walk that well and people have to take care of me and bring my food. And he's the guy that needs this the most. The, 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 the officer who has experienced a situation, that's not a time to go into isolation. And that's when the team, you know, again, I love it when the team shows up. Even, you know, you hate it. Uh, there was an officer killed in the line of duty here in Mississippi. And the, the streets lined up with soldiers and officers. And, and you know, for him, uh, the mission was over. But for his family, for his children to see, hey, daddy meant something to somebody. For his wife to see, daddy meant something. And he was part of something. I think that that nothing can erase the healing, but I think that helps. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it brings emotion up for me because when – we hear about that, especially Clint and I were just having this discussion yesterday. Being that the platform that we have created, we give every intent to pour out positive and influential training information. The, the words we speak, we, we have a very important intent when it comes to showcasing things. And in recent time, we've, we've gained a significant amount of feedback thanking us for not showcasing a lot of the negativity that we do see on similar similar niche social sites let's say yeah. so to hear that to hear that from somebody not let's say in our immediate circle and to hear the respect and just the identification that you had during something like that like it means a great deal to us to hear that identification and 
and taking a step back and maybe bringing the level up just a little bit, but in a lot of my neuroscience studies, Rick, what you had made mention of with the ability to take your thoughts and like plant the seed, so to speak, there are newer studies that have come out that are showcasing the fact that even having the mental, the mental exercises in our mind of like physical mobility is producing real physical statistical, statistical growth in even um, like muscle mass. So it's amazing what could happen when we start to identify the power of our intuition, of our, our cognitive abilities. But we need, we need a place for people to be able to showcase how to do it. This isn't something that we're ever taught. And that's one thing I love about the company that you've created with the Epilogue Worthy Life is that you really want to show people that you don't have to follow this social standard. That doesn't have to apply to you anymore. Yeah. You know, the thing that I saw in the military, and this was a big thing for me spiritually, is that I, I didn't come from a spiritual background. I mean, like my one stepfather was Catholic, and so I hit a little thing of Catholic. I didn't really know anything about God or church. And, and I was in the military, and there were two guys, there was two soldiers, and they really stuck out to me. And these were, guys, these were the guys you wanted to be with. If you were going into a tough situation, you wanted to be with them. And they somehow talked about their spiritual life like it was natural. Not that it was weird. They didn't pass out tracks, but they felt like they, uh, they felt like they believed that God existed and played a role in their life and that their job was to, to, to be an example. And, and I was, I was fascinated. I was intrigued by that. I mean, these are guys that didn't just talk about it, but lived it. And I think that's the same thing with uh, what we're trying to do with this longevity study is that there's a lot of groups out there that are talking about, oh, here's the supplements to take or here's the research that supports it. The cool thing is, is I, I've been fortunate to team up with guys that are older than I am. I remember I thought, well, I'm the baddest ass 65-year-old guy in the gym. And I would kind of strut around like a peacock. And so this one guy uh, was – this one guy was – obviously a little bit older. I didn't think he was older than me, but a little bit older. And he was what I was trying to be. I mean, you could see every single muscle in his body. He wasn't bulked up. He was just ripped. And he's a trainer, athletic trainer at the, or a fitness trainer. And so one time I said, his name was Joe. I said, Joe, I said, man, how old are you? I was expecting him to say 58. Well, he's a year older than me. And I was like, Joe, you, you hurt my feelings. I mean, really, I mean, I, uh, you know, I lost a couple, uh, turkey strutting feathers that day. And so, uh, and so then a, a couple weeks go by and I'm on the treadmill and there's this um, a fella that uh, tall guy looked like a, looked like a older uh, Dr. J, just a very distinguished, a little bit of salt and pepper in his hair. We get talking. He, he was a specimen too. He's on the treadmill. And I go, so you come here to put a shame on an old man here. And he goes, old oh, man. I said, well, how old are you? Well, same thing. He was 67. And I thought, oh, what the heck? You know, so, I'm not, you know, I'm not even the second, uh, you know, most fit guy. But the point was, is what I, and then since then, I've picked up about three other guys that are fortunately just a little bit younger than me. <laughs> but, uh, but what happens is they are examples of people living the way that they believe. And so it's not statistics. It's not research. I mean, what I want to do is let's investigate. Why is the... Um, um, the retired Navy guy, why is he so healthy? He's taking care of his mama too. And so, you know, why is she so healthy? Uh, and, um, and then the same thing with the fitness guy. And so we're sort of looking at what, and, and isn't that what you want? You want to be the best example of what you proclaim and what you believe. 
That's, that's, that's all. And so that's what we're trying to do is say, I, I don't know what supplements you need. I don't know. I don't know if they even help. Here's what I know is that having a positive attitude, teaming up with people, um, uh, you know, your, your, your kryptonite, minimizing the kryptonite that's in your life. Certainly diet and exercise has a big role in that. Relationships. Listen, my wife, uh, if I live longer, it's because of her support and her love. And as I listen to you two guys, I mean, I see that you got a powerful, you know, um, dynamo going there. And uh, anyway. So, so for your longevity study that you're doing, it, it sounds absolutely amazing. And, and I love that because it's not science-based. It's not, it's not based off of experts in the area of what supplements you can take and, and all that. It's based off of almost your vibrational pattern that you put out in a day-to-day along with a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So in that, how is that in turning, how, how have you seen other people enacting that around you other than those people that you are doing the study with? Yeah. Well, one of the, there's a young guy that I'm, I'm coaching in, in our program. I'm coaching and uh, he's like 22 years old and he was also a fitness coach at the same club that we went to and he has a video business where he does commercials for people. And so I said, his name is Garrick. And I said, Garrick, um, I brought him into our meetings and because I thought, well, maybe he could help, you know, market it or sell it. And I said, do me a favor though. I'll, I'll be honest. Is this just some nuance that's speaking to us older guys? Or is this, does this have some interest to a guy that's 22 years old or however old he, he's probably older than that, but um, in his 20s. And he said, no, no, no. He goes, listen, he goes, right now, he goes, a younger person's role model sometimes is another young person, a skateboarder, uh, a guy that's invented some app. And he goes, that only takes you so far. He goes, so my question to myself is, uh, what does life have in store for me 10, 20, 30 years from now? And he goes, you guys give us a positive picture of what that could be. And so that's kind of the question I ask my kids. I said, I mean, be honest, is this something that doesn't have anything to do? Everybody is wondering what's around the corner. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really funny. Like as you're, you're talking about this, I, I can picture you and, and your buddies talking about in your meeting, you're, I, all that comes to my mind. I don't know if you're aware of the movie, the space Cowboys. That's it's it, <laughs> that's literally what is pinging at me right now, and then yeah. I could just see you guys all sitting around saying, "No, you got to do it this way, not this way," and you guys kind of transforming it, and then but really developing this plan of your approach on how you want to do it and and bring it out to the world. And you're so right, and and I think back on every day on the news, you hear this lady's lived to be 105 years old, and she attributes attributes it to drinking a Coors Light every day, <laughs> you know, or she attribute, they attribute to not sleeping in the same bed together ever. And, and it's things like that, but what they're really not covering is that lifestyle, that, that way of their own vibrational patterns, their own way of living. And it starts up here and it absolutely starts up here. And, and you said it perfectly is when you have that one seed planted, whether it's a good seed or a bad seed, 
it's going to grow. That's right. And if you have that good seed planted, it's really developing from there. And that's what the key is to longevity. Yeah. Well, any type of recovery. And that's, I, you know, for me, it's, here's what happened for me is that I'd had some injuries um, and I guess life was, was I was trying to get some businesses going and I wasn't at home as much as I needed to. I was missing some ball games. My kids were playing in and I wasn't, wasn't really in a good place. What wasn't, wasn't a happy place. And, uh, but I didn't know that I didn't know any other way. And that's the problem is real examples of how to do it right. They're not, they're not out there. And, uh, and so one day I'm coming out of church and a lady comes up to me and she's looking at me and I'm thinking, Oh gee, what somebody hitting on me at church or what? <laughs> she says, you, you will make a great person for a photo shoot I'm doing. I'm like, what? She goes, we're doing a calendar and we're going to have cheerleaders in every month. And we're going to feature cheerleader, local high school cheerleaders. And we need somebody for December we need somebody to play Santa Claus with a cheerleader on her lap. I'm like, do I, do I get to keep my clothes on in this shoe? Like some kind of porno? And she goes, no, 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 no. You, uh, you'll just be there with, uh, you know, sort of contemporary Santa Claus. And I'm like, hell no. Well, the idea, my picture of Santa Claus is a bowl, you know, stomach like a bowl full of jelly. And I thought, I still see myself as, you know, as Rocky. I still see myself as some some hero and she's saying, no, no, you would really make a good Santa Claus. And, and it, it was that day, you know, it was kind of the day I said, I don't want that. I don't want that scenario. I don't want that to be my story that I'm going to be a Santa Claus. Uh, I still, I don't want all my, my, my hero stories to be when I was 20 years old in the military or when I was playing, you know, college football or whatever. I, I, I want some in, in the future, but here's what I realized is in order to do that, then, Okay, yeah, I, I'm going to have to monitor what I eat. I, I, I first, I'm going to have to be healthy. And then uh, I need to tie up. Man, you know what? I need to up my game with the people I know. That's why it's exciting to know you guys. You guys just have elevated my friend level, you know. Um, but there's some people, listen, there were some people I had to kick out of my life. And, and I think that's on any team. I don't know if that's with the police force, but there's some folks that are negative and it will bring you down and, and make you weaker. And, and it was really. During that time, I, there were some folks, I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. I told my wife. And she said, good, because all we do is complain about stuff when we're around them. And I want to be around people that are exciting. I want to be around with young, people with a young mindset. And, and so I think in any recovery or improving your longevity, you need people to love. You need things to do. You need people to team up with. Uh, you need things that you want to learn. You need places that you're going to go to. You know, as I was listening to Ashley talk about, you know, not fishing, but wanting to fish. And yeah, and, and I think you had indicated there were some fears in the process, but you, but the, but the fears, you know why I parachute? Not because I'm, I'm brave in heights. It's because it's scary. Mm-hmm. That makes life fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Rick, I, I would love to just point something out to you. And, and that's what you would discuss to, to some people, the listener, as, as you're listening to this, you, you might have found humor in Rick's story as it pertains to being offered the very prestigious role of Santa Claus and him turning it down. But the way that I see that, Rick, is you, you really broke the mold by telling her, no, I don't see myself the same way that you see me. 
Mm. And I think so many people don't have that type of courage because a lot of us think that we're being discourteous by disagreeing with somebody in that same instance. And I want to applaud you for really showcasing your own truths because I don't believe that a lot of people find it acceptable to do that. And Clinton, I always try to stress getting outside of that social norm and that conformity that we've really had imposed on us from a very, very young age. And I think that's a perfect example of showcasing that you're owning your own reality and you're not allowing anybody, be it a, a sweet little lady at church or, or anybody else, dictate who you're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, you, you articulated perfectly. And I think that's the problem is that when the media, right now, that's who's defining a lot of things. But where I'm at, Mississippi is known to be a hotbed of racial tension. Yet the people that are on my team, it's predominantly black individuals. And, and I asked them, I said, listen, maybe we can use this for something else other than longevity. Maybe we can show. And, and I think that there were, was a sense of the reality, the, the false reality, the false narrative that the media portrays. Are there are there areas of hotbed where racial tensions? Yeah, but it's not it's not predominant. It's the police. The listen, the policemen look like a bunch of crazy people out just shooting the first person walking around. And I know I know police officers that that's not their intent. Nobody's there with the camera when they're uh, they're helping somebody or protecting somebody or when they're involved, engaged in social activities in the community. Where's the camera then? And yet that, but that doesn't make news. They want to, you know, they want a dirty Harry scenario is what they want. And so I think that that's why I told these guys that I'm working with, I said, I want you guys to be famous because you are worthy to be an example to the younger folks. I, and I think Clint, guys like you, you are worthy to be the example of what a policeman is, and it's not, and well, we, we, we can go to why bad things happen, but, you know, in my mind, when I was a, when I was a soldier, we practiced every day shooting. We practiced enter, entering a room, how to go in with a team, and a lot of times what happens is that in some professions is that uh, you're not engaged. We always felt like we were going to go to war. We were ready. A police officer doesn't go to work to think this day. And I remember the story that Ashley talked about with the when you entered the house. Is that you, you didn't know that day that you were going to actually go to the crossroads of life and death. And so for, I think, a, the unfortunate thing is for what I, my experience with police officers, they're not in that tension mode of I'd better have my six gun drawn at any moment. And so... And then now we're going to criticize somebody who went from kissing their wife goodbye and then entered into a combat zone. And, uh, I, I think it's unfair. I think it's, it's the media. I blame the media because they're just trying to get it. They don't care about you. They don't care about the victim. They care about a good story. And, and shame, shame on them. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and, and I appreciate your kind words. I really do. Um, you know, and, and being a police officer and being a first responder in general, it's it's not easy nowadays. Times have changed. We have to adapt. We have to overcome. But, you know, one thing Ashley and I really want to do is, is, you know, present the humanity behind the badge. Whether you're a firefighter, a police officer, an ambulance driver, you know, firefighters always get the positive news stories, but it's kind of <laughs> something that we – 
as first responders, we all have that animosity towards each other. And we have, and we've talked about to you, the listener before in reference to that, but for, for, as a first responder, you know, when we go to work, we kiss our spouse, we kiss our kids, our dogs, whoever that may be to you. And we don't go out planning, you know what, I'm going to shoot somebody today. That's the least of what we've ever thought about. It's really trying to understand of what can I do not to have to shoot somebody? What can I do to come home safe to my family at the end of the day while I protect the city, the county, the state that I work for? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, both of you, I appreciate you for sharing that. And Rick, I just want to dive into a little bit of the epilogue worthy life a little bit because I know how hard you're working and you've created this team of very like-minded individuals who understand that there's so much more that you're worthy of in creating and receiving and giving in, in your world, especially as you age. So can you talk the listener through a little bit about some of the services that you've created and what your offering is? Well, we're very early. We're very early in the process. And so right now what we're doing is, um, you know, so of our motto is we got stuff to do. That's the motto. We have stuff to do. It's not over. We're not, I'm not, we're not retiring. We're not going fishing. And so what we're doing right now is uh, we're formulating the stories and, and identifying the message that uh, each of these individuals have. And, and that's what we really want to do with uh, um, our plan is to, to do probably an, um, a podcast, uh, to do some seminars, because, you know, uh, one of the guys is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's an expert on fitness and diet and, and things like that. And so we want to help people. Um, understand how your diet affects how well you're able to get into that zone to that best version of yourself and how exercise, I mean, there's a lot of research that speaks to that. And then um, uh, the one fellow, the ex-Navy officer is also a pastor. And so how does spirituality, how does that attribute, how, how does that change as you get older and how does that affect your view, your picture of yourself? Hmm. And, um, and so in matter of fact, one of the guys that uh, is on the team is a, a former professional baseball player. And he's a guy who reached the pinnacle, kind of the pinnacle of his career and dreams in in his twenties and early thirties. And so what happens from there? The point is what happens is when, when you retire or when your success is something in your past. And so we're right now at the point of developing those stories. And um, I I think that's a big part of it is if you're familiar with the hero's journey, and um, uh, I took a course called Storyline. And the question they ask is, so what kind of character are you in your story? Are, are, are you the lead character in your story? There's some people whose narrative is that they're secondary to their spouse or to their boss, or they're still doing what their dad told them. Um, you know? And so somewhere online, you have to become the lead character in your story and then recognize in any exciting story, um, you know, it's not an exciting story to say, you know, okay, what's your story? Well, I want to buy a BMW, you know, mm-hmm. not that interest, not that compelling. But, hey, I want to go out there on the big water and catch me a big fish, and there's going to be challenges in the process. I'm going to go out there and, uh, you know, uh, who knows what that the weather. And so that's now we've got an exciting story. You know, the, the, the weather is a factor, and then fighting the big fish is a factor, and that's an exciting narrative. 
but you want to be the hero in your story. Now, the other thing, what's cool about being a coach or even a police officer is that when you're the person who enters another person's story and you're the guy, hey, let me be your guy. Let me, let me help you. You know, the person who calls 911, well, they're the star of their story, but they need, they need the guy to come in and protect them. Um, and and we, we all need a coach. We all need a mentor. Um, so that's what I'm hoping is hoping we'll have a team of guys that will be good mentors uh, that will have, you know, everybody, like the one guy says he eats red jello and that helps the, the cartilage in his knee. I, I don't know if that does, but he thinks it does. And so, you know, but what we're looking at is for the commonality. We're looking at all the guys exercise routinely. That's a common thing. All the guys watch what they eat. That's a common thing. All the guys have a, a positive family relationships. That's that, that when you start finding those type of commonalities, well, now we have, uh, uh, we have some maybe steps that we can enter in. We have to think, are these contextual? Maybe they just work in this context or are they universal? And so those are the type of things that we'll, we'll ask. Do you guys eat red jello? I love red jello. <laughs> wow. So this is an incredible platform and foundation that you've created. And I know that you're going to do amazing things. And I think the diversity and the networking aspect of this and how you're really being cognizant and, and taking your time to pull all of the things that make sense together before you just start a, you know, word vomit out into the world, I think that just shows me a little bit more about your character, Rick. And what you mentioned was that it's so important to be the star of your story. And what you said was, let me be your guide. And that brings me back to the beginning when we first started this interview, where you're talking about not having that male role model in your life and using military service to help you to form that discipline and to become, become a man. So to sum it up, can you share with the listener a little bit about how this journey, how that first decision to join the military service and everything that happened thereafter led you to be what I believe such an incredible man that we're honored to be able to sit in front of right now? Yeah, you know, at any point in my life, if someone were to come up to me and say, um, let, let me, let me train you. Let me help you. I would have, I would have received it, but the, there wasn't, there weren't people. Now there were a lot of, you know, cocky folks who, who, um, thought they were badasses and somehow wanted to teach you, wanted you, wanted you to be their boy. Uh, but I'm talking about somebody who was living an epic life. If somebody were to come up to me, I, I, I would have jumped on board. Any, I, I probably would have followed somebody bad if they, um, they came along, but fortunately, like I met these soldiers and all of a sudden I seen people who were succeeding by doing what was right and doing the hard thing and that they were able, the other thing was being able to clearly articulate what they believed and, um, and do it in a way that, you know, the, that nobody, nobody snickered at these guys. And so when I got out of the military and, um, and started thinking what I was going to do, um, uh, well, I was injured in the military. What happens, I was injured, and um, 
when I was, when I was in the hospital, there was a guy that had lost his leg and he was in a wheelchair. And I wanted to be able to say, dude, you know, cause he sat by himself. He was, obviously he was depressed. I wanted to say, come hang out with us. And, and I thought, well, what's he going to say? You know, if I say, dude, how are you doing? I thought he was going to say, lost a leg, duh. What do you think? Because, so I didn't know how, I couldn't see how the interaction, so I just avoided it. And one day, uh, they brought in a prosthesis and fed him, and he stood up and started to walk. And I go, that, that is the coolest damn thing I've ever seen. And that's what I'm going to do. I just knew I was going to do that. So, again, these examples and, and the guys that work with them seem to know they were compassionate and they, um, they had skill. And that's what I wanted. I felt like I was a guy that didn't have a lot of skill, uh, didn't have a lot of confidence just because of my, my upbringing. And even when I went into the military, uh, there were a lot of – I was doing a lot of cool things, but I was still the same guy. And I wanted to – I didn't want to stay the same. Uh, just I don't know if you got time for a quick story, but, you know, I always wanted to change. And uh, I was at the hospital one time, and a guy was in the hospital, and he had a short sleeve shirt on, and he had a big airborne tattoo, so a parachute with wings on it. And I thought, I love to give military guys a chance to uh, brag. And so I went up to him, and I said, dude, man, what? tell me about that tattoo. He goes, well, I'm one of those guys that jump out of perfectly good airplanes in the military. I go, really? I said, well, what, what unit were you in? And then he looks at me a little bit and he goes, um, I, never, I never made it to a unit. I go, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I got out of that thing. I think, God, I, don't, God, I didn't know that was an option. Got out. What, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, all those lifers take it so serious. And uh, I, I'm not one of them dumb guys that, you know, that have to be told what to do. So I just got out. Well, now, I mean, I don't know what to say because I'm going up here to compliment him and, and it's, it's kind of taking a turn. I don't even know what he's talking about. And so finally, I just, in order to kind of conclude the conversation, I said, well, you know, did it, did it, did your experience um, help you anyway, change you anyway for the good? You know, and he goes, no. He goes, I came out the same way I went in. And, you know, I was like, okay, I guess we're done now, you know. And I thought, man, what a sad thing. Because I didn't come out the same way I went in. I came out with a different view of what teamwork meant, what friendship meant, what dedication meant, what hard work meant. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what it is, is, is even now, I don't, I don't want to come into my 30s and come, come on to my 40s the same way that I entered in. You know? and, and even with friendships, man, I don't want to meet you guys and leave without something happening, some connection happening here. Because, you know, as time goes on, I don't have a lot of time for stuff that doesn't work. And so, um, so really, that's the, the thing is, I think, is, as I go on, I still want to learn. I still want to grow. Even though there's some things that I can't do, guess what? There's some things I can do. I ran a marathon with my daughter, a half marathon with my daughter, uh, and I was 64. Uh, I entered my first fitness contest and won it. I was 60. Um, I started two businesses. 63. Um, and so I think, one, it's my nature to do that kind of stuff. Um, the other, um, it's exciting. It's, it's adventurous. I'm a late bloomer, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's never been a more appropriate time to say better late than never. <laughs> and, and Rick, as we, we wind things down here, I just want to point out that I do believe you owe me a story as it relates to a cadaver putting you in a headlock. 
<laughs> you know, I, I listened to that story about uh, Clint. He got tackled by a zombie, you know, and uh, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, I can relate. Um, when I was, uh, when I was, one of the courses I needed to take before I go to the University of Washington is I had to have a cadaver anatomy class. And um, <laughs> at East Car- so I was at East Carolina University and they had a brand new medical program. And on the seventh floor of the hospital was the cadaver lab. And so what would happen is as students, we would get a key, and this was an intense course. It was in the summertime, so it was faster than normal. And what we'd have to do is during the test is we'd have to identify the smallest bone or the smallest nerve. And we were studying the brachial plexus. And again, I was not a good student, so I'm panicking. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I can't study. I have to pass this test. I was accepted at the University of Washington, contingent of passing this test. And so I think I got to study. We're studying the brachial plexus, a series of small nerves in the axilla, in the armpit. And so I go uh, up to this seventh floor. And so as you go to the floor of the hospital, you go in, there's a lot of activity even at night. But as you start going up the floors, you have administration on the top floor, there's nobody. And then you go in the cadaver lab, and it's freezing cold. It smells like formaldehyde, and you have 20, um, looks like stainless steel coffins that the bodies are down inside, and you wheel them up, you know, to, to eye level. And so I have all these podiums around, and the brachial plexus are these nerves about the size of a string, and they go in and out of muscles, and they, they come from your um, from your neck, from the uh, vertebra, and come down to different muscles and activate these muscles, and they pierce muscles. And so I got to be able to identify them. And so these bodies, so I wheel my guy up, and we called him half and half because half his body had the skin on, and the other half he'd been carved out by the pre, uh, pre uh, the uh, med students, where they would separate his pectoral muscle from his pec, from major from his pec minor. And so I'm in here. So if you can imagine, I got my guy up like you know, like a touch, like the the referee would signify a touchdown. So he's up, uh, his armpit is eye level, and I'm trying to find these nerves. And his pectoral, I have to pull his pectoral muscle back and trying to find his nerve. And when I let go of it, it comes back, slaps over top of where I'm trying to find it. And now I've lost what I was looking for. And so I do this three or four times and I got my face right in there with a magnifying glass because I got to find it. So I got my face in and finally I get irritated and I grab that pectoral muscle. Well, the pectoral muscle inserts on your humerus. And so his arms are like this. I grab his pectoral muscle. His arm goes over top of my head. And of course, rigor mortis is set in and I'm sitting on a chair. I can't get away. So every time I put back, this arm's standing closer to his axilla. And, and I listen, I know this guy's dead. But you know what his problem is? I've watched too many zombie movies. And I'm like, you know, I know he's dead, but somebody might have just jumped. I don't know. Maybe somebody just jumped in here. And uh, yeah. so I, I try to calm myself. I, you know, put the, the sheet over top of him, crank him back down. And then I get out of there and I see a security guard. And I go, hey, sir, how you doing? How you been? You work here long? You've been here? Uh, you know, what time is it? I, I had to have somebody talk to you. Oh. <laughs> so, so I tell everybody I got a headlock by a cadaver. Wow. Wow. That's a memory that I'm sure you've carried with and will continue forevermore. <laughs> and now we will too. All right. Well, that's it. Yeah, we have another thing for us to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We battle the zombies together. Yes. <laughs> oh, Greg, it's been such a pleasure just sharing this space with you and hearing more of your story and just building on our friendship together. And 
you know, as, as you listen, I, I'm sure there's some nuggets or some pieces of wisdom or relatability that you share with Rick and his story. And Rick, I'm, I'm just wondering how, as a listener, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Um, you know what? Could they, could they contact you and I'll give you my information? Yep. That sounds they can good. Certainly, they should certainly email me at... Um, I don't even know my email address. It's epilogueworthylife at gmail.com. There we go. Yeah. And, and listen, love to, to talk to them. And to me, the lesson is teaming up. You know, I, I love, you know, the fact that I, I feel like we're teaming up here. And I think uh, no matter what your, you know, tense situation is, don't, don't face it alone. You weren't meant to face it alone. And, um, yeah. Perfect way to end it, Rick. We thank you again. We thank you for your service. And as you listen, if any of this resonates with you, then you know that that's how you're able to enjoy your tactical living.